Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. I'm just thrilled to be here. I couldn't be more excited. Yesterday, my, uh, my one of the vice presidents at Northwest sent me a note and he says, I am praying, and it said on the text message, I am praying that you will have the annoying thing tomorrow. And I looked at that and I said, Siri must have misunderstood because Siri's not saved yet. Uh, there, are plenty, there are plenty of people trying to evangelize Siri, but um, she's programmed not to get saved, by the way, if you've tried. But uh, she doesn't understand spiritual talk sometimes. And so I, when I saw that, I said, the annoying thing, that's the anointing. And I thought, that's probably exactly how the devil sees it, you know. <laughs> he sees the anointing as that annoying thing. And, uh, but I tell you, people have been praying for the anointing on this service tonight. I've been praying for it, and I believe it's here, and God's with us. I just feel him so powerfully in this room. Um, you know, I'm, I, I want to say thanks to my sponsor, Northwest University, for allowing me to be here with you tonight. And uh, we strive at Northwest to be a college with the soul of a church. Our number one priority is to be a spirit-filled community of believers who love one another and to provide in that atmosphere the best quality education available. We're so proud of our students. They are rocking it. They're getting into the Ivy League universities every year for graduate programs. One of our students just finished her PhD in virology at Harvard, just defended her dissertation, and we're just so proud of them. They do great work. Um, but we're, we're focused in the near future on four major things. We are focused on business, technology, healthcare, and ministry. Those are our four areas of focus for the near future. Business, because we're in the best corporate environment in the world. I mean, literally one mile away is Google, three miles away is Microsoft, three miles away is Amazon. All the best companies in the world are right there. They are giving our students internships. They're employing our students at incredible salaries. We think it's a great place to prepare for business. Technology, because we've got terrific new programs in computer science and data science, uh, user experience design, uh, video design, audio design, and coming next year, game development, because Kirkland, Washington, where we're settled, is the game development capital of the United States. We have 32 game development ca uh, companies in our, in our town, and they're just begging us for, for people, so we're going to start that program soon. We're excited about the future for technology and for Christians in the world of technology, because we think that they need us badly. They need you badly. And uh, healthcare, uh, we have a phenomenal nursing program that just turns out the best nurses in the world. We train them all to be missionary nurses. And it turns out that when you train someone to be a missionary nurse in transcultural environments, they are the perfect nurses for the American Urban Hospital. They understand cultural difference. They're ready to step into any situation and thrive. And our nurses are famous for their incredible uh, kindness as people and their, their, their goodness to patients and their real skills. So we're adding uh, new programs in physician's assistant, in doctor of physical therapy, and other medical programs in the near future. Healthcare is a really important part of our future. And ministry because nothing is more important to the future than training ministers for the churches across the country and around the world. These are what we're focused on. There's 70 different academic programs and that's enough because I didn't come here to give you a commercial for Northwest, but I appreciate them letting me come. In Acts chapter 12, verses one through 11, we have the word of God for us tonight. Would you read it with me? 
verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of his own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. May God bless the hearing of the word tonight, not so that we will come to ourselves as Peter did, but that we will come to the mind of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Title of the sermon tonight is The Mind of the Spirit. Now the story, what happened to Peter, it's an amazing story. I, I've preached this passage under the, under the title, it's too good to be true, but it's true anyway. But that's not the message for tonight. Herod had arrested several Christians and he had arrested James, the brother of John, one of the sons of thunder. And he put James to death. Now how did they put James to death? They beheaded him with a sword took him out in front of the people and in public executed him, lopping his head off. I mean, it's like some of the stuff you might've seen on these Al-Qaeda videos where they behead people with a sword. That's what happened to James and the people liked it. Now, Herod was an incredibly vain king. And you'll see at the end of this chapter that his vanity leads to his quick demise when he gives a speech and they say, it's the voice of a God. And instead of giving glory to God, he absorbed that glory, took that glory, exalted in the glory, and immediately God struck him and his, he was eaten by worms in his stomach, which is about the most painful way to die that you could go. It's very humiliating and it kind of served him right for being so prideful so bloodthirsty. But he thought, man, if this is going to please the people, I'll do some more of this. Let's get, let's get another one. And so he goes out and he arrests Peter, who's clearly one of the leaders of the Christians, and he knows the people will like it, and so he's going to put Peter to death as well, but he puts him in jail first. It says he, he, sends, a, uh, he sends four squads of soldiers out to arrest him. That's 16 Roman soldiers. 
These 16 soldiers are put in charge of Peter. He's thrown in prison. He's chained up with two different chains. There's several layers of guards uh, making sure that he does not escape. And the Lord comes in the middle of the night while he's asleep and, uh, and sets him free. <laughs> it's, it's quite an amazing story to get past 16 soldiers. It's bad enough to, you know, amazing enough to get out of the chains, but he gets past 16 soldiers, all of who are watching him, all of whom are watching him because they know if he escapes, the penalty that was on him will come on them. That's the, that's the, the punishment of a soldier who, who lets an, a prisoner escape in this place. So they're all facing beheading. They're not going to take this lightly. Yet the angel comes and he liberates Peter from jail. Now, you'll notice in here that when Peter gets arrested, it says that the church entered into earnest prayer. That word earnest in Greek is the word that means stretched out. Um, but it means earnest is what it really means. But it gives us a picture of stretching themselves out. I mean, they really made an effort in prayer. And it doesn't mention any such prayer about James. James was arrested and he was put to death. It doesn't say there was a great prayer meeting or that they extended themselves, that they, that they went into earnest prayer, but James was, was killed. And of course, some people might wonder, was the prayer the difference with Peter being saved and James not being saved? What if they had prayed for James? Could they have avoided James being killed by prayer? Well, maybe they could have. I, some would say yes, but I, I would say no, because Jews in the early church at that time believed that if you were in God's will, if you died, if God let you die as a martyr, that that was, could only happen through the will of God, because sometimes it is God's will for people to glorify him through their deaths. So James' death is not the fault of the church that failed to pray. They may have prayed. It just doesn't say that they did. But at any rate, it was necessary, apparently, for James to die. No amount of prayer could have kept Jesus from dying on the cross, for example. Jesus, when he was praying before he went to the cross, he said, nevertheless, thy will be done. And so it was the will of God that Jesus should die on the cross for our sins. And thank God nobody prayed against that. Uh, man, that would have been a mess. <laughs> but uh, that's not the way it works. Sometimes bad things happen to, to the best people in the world. Sometimes people even die for the glory of God. If I die, I want to die for God's glory, not for my stupidity. Not because it was my fault, but because God was glorified in the way that I died. And, and if that's necessary, I've always been willing. But um, at any rate, it matters that the church went into earnest prayer. God likes to perform his will, obviously, but he likes to do it best when he has the participation of the body. God likes to work with us, not around us. And so it matters that the church went into prayer. That was part of what um, allowed for Peter, for Peter to be released. And the church went into prayer. What makes prayer truly powerful is not the eloquence of the prayer. It's not how many people are praying. What makes prayer really powerful is when we pray according to the will of God. It was not God's will for Jesus to get set free from the cross. 
He had to die for us. Perhaps it was necessary for James to die on the cross, but it was God's will to deliver Peter from that prison. He had work for him to do. He had a whole apostolic ministry to fulfill. And so it was God's will for Peter to go out from that prison to give this amazing example of deliverance to the believers. And he meant to do it through the prayers of the believers. When we pray according to God's will, we can know that we have what we ask for. When we pray against God's will, we can only hope that he will ignore us. The last thing you want God to do is answer a prayer against his will. Have you ever been out of God's will? I spent a year at a particular university, which I will not name because I don't want to embarrass them, but I spent a year at a university out of the will of God. It was the most miserable year of my life. You know, there was nothing about that year that I think was God's will. I was just out of it. And boy, was I out of it. It was an awful year. It's the last place I ever want to be. But the will of God, even in trouble, even in difficulty, the will of God is the best place in the world to be. And we want to pray according to God's will. So the question is, how can we be sure that we are praying according to God's will? That's a good question. It's the right question. How do we be sure that we are praying according to God's will? And in the natural mind, there is no way to guarantee that. But God has given us a way to pray by which we can be certain that we are praying according to God's will. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, it says this amazing thing. Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I had the privilege of studying under Bruce Metzger at Princeton Theological Seminary. Bruce Metzger was one of the greatest New Testament scholars of the 20th century. He was a Presbyterian. He was not a Pentecostal. But he told me clearly that this, is speaking, that this passage is talking about speaking in tongues. That the Spirit prays in words that can't be uttered. That's the way that this text expresses what speaking in tongues is. When we speak in tongues, we are praying in the Spirit. That's clear in the New Testament if you study that, that phrase, praying in the Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, when we pray in the gift of tongues, through the gift of tongues, we can know without a doubt that we are praying the will of God. We may not know what the will is, but we can know that our prayers are dead on, that they are right in the center of God's will. And it behooves us to pray that way. It behooves us to pray in the spirit. And so he goes on to say, Paul does in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. When I pray in the spirit, I'm not praying in my own mind. I'm not praying in myself. 
I'm praying in the mind of the Spirit. I enter into the mind of the Spirit as I pray. And the one who searches hearts and minds knows the mind of the Spirit that's praying through us. And it's powerful prayer. For it's, uh, it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. I had a friend who was a master's degree in theology from Cambridge University, one of the brightest guys in the world, really smart, smart theologian. And uh, he had not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even though he had grown up in an Assemblies of God pastor's home. And we're talking on the phone one day, and he says, I just, I just, I just doubt, you know, I just, I can't get past this doubt that it won't be just me. Just me talking and, and just me making up sounds. And I said, well, you're a theologian. You've, you're a graduate of Cambridge. I got to ask you something. When you write about God, do you think that what you're writing describes God any better than a little child babbling before the Lord? And he said, probably not. And I said, well, then why don't you just babble before the Lord? <laughs> It'll be as good as your theology is. He's a good theologian too. <laughs> and he laughed and he said, you know, you're, you're, you're right. And I said, why don't you go ahead and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit right now on the phone? He said, all right. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. And the first second you feel the, the Holy Spirit in your, in your, working on your heart, the very first second that you, that you feel the Spirit, I want you to break out speaking in tongues. I give you permission to speak in tongues. And it might be like a baby babbling, but let it, go ahead and offer it to God as your, your gift of praise, and God will receive it just like a little baby babbling. Well, he immediately... As I began to pray for him, he immediately broke out speaking in tongues. Beautiful tongues just flowing out of him. He, even speaking, he, went, he went off on a retreat and did it for several days. <laughs> been, been praying in tongues ever since. And it is such a blessing and it's such a powerful instrument for our spiritual well-being. We need it so that we can pray infallibly according to the will of God. And it is worth receiving. Now, Praying in the Spirit does not necessarily give us a conscious knowledge of God's will. I wish it did. I wish I could just pray in tongues for a few minutes and then immediately know in my mind what the will of God is. But it doesn't always work that way. But it does seem to lubricate the mind. <laughs> it seems to lubricate the connection between the mind of God and my mind. I've been in the ministry for 40 years. And it's actually 42 years this year since I got my Assemblies of God credentials. And um, after all of these years, I've been praying in tongues since I was 12 years old. That's 50 years. All these years, I can tell you, it makes a difference. It makes a difference, especially in times of crisis. It, take, it makes a difference, especially when you don't know what to do. It really makes a difference when you're casting out demons. I don't know why, but it does. Sometimes praying in the Spirit will be the direct path through which we receive insight into God's mind, what God wants to do, what God's will is. You might say, to, well, 
I don't speak in tongues, but God does speak to me. And, and I say, yes, that's right. God can speak to you without you having to speak in tongues. I'm, I would never be so arrogant as to suggest that, that only someone who speaks in tongues can hear from God. That's not true. You, God will speak to you. But I can tell you, it's going to work better if you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you will receive this gift of praying in the Spirit. It will help you. And you know, you shouldn't also forget that it isn't all about you. Well, I don't speak in tongues, but God speaks to me. Well, you're here. And there's this amazing community around you. And especially here, if God's not talking to you here, you, I, I'm not sure you're here. <laughs> I mean, if you get in a place like this and everybody's in the spirit and people are praying in the spirit and there's this atmosphere of God's presence created by God rejoicing in the presence of the body of Christ to gather together, of course you're gonna have movement of the spirit in your life. Of course God's gonna speak to you. Of course you could turn and pray for the person next to you and see them healed. But how much better if when you're alone, you can turn to God in prayer, pray the will of God perfectly, lubricate that connection between your mind and God's connection, and be close to God in the way that everyone who speaks in tongues regularly tells you they feel, why would you say no to that? You know, being in church together, all together in one accord in the presence of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, makes the spiritual strength of all of us available to each of us. Why wouldn't you attend church? Maybe, maybe you're watching on, the, on, on, on Facebook or on one of the means by which we are talking to a lot of people in a lot of places right now. Maybe. Maybe you're out there. Maybe you attend the church where you are a regular often. But maybe you've kind of given up on going to church because COVID has been around. Maybe you found it more convenient to stay home. And I got to tell you, it's very convenient to watch church from home. I watch James River Church from home regularly. I like doing it. But I can tell you it's a whole lot being better being here with you tonight than it is watching on, on Facebook. American individualism can trip you up in your walk with God. We need each other. We need the body. Being together matters. We ought to come together. Well, you know what the first thing Peter did when he got out of jail? He went to the place where he knew the believers were praying. <laughs> That's where he wanted to be. And, and let's focus on this verse 11. Oh, how the time goes away. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. <laughs> I want to focus on two phrases here. One is that uh, the things that everybody were expecting didn't happen. Herod had written a script he was going to arrest Peter, put him in jail, keep him there to the right time until there was a feast day, bring him out when there would be a huge public to see it and execute him in front of the public. That was the script. It was all written in advance. But God does not have to work according to our scripts that we write for him. 
And the problem many of us have is that we're living by a script that somebody else wrote for us. Very, very few people live original lives. Society has written a script. Our family maybe has written the script. Tradition has written the script. Our expectations have written the script. Our ambitions have written the script. We know exactly what we want to do, how we want to do it, where it's gonna be. We know it all. And when we're acting on that script that somebody else wrote for us, that we wrote for ourselves, God doesn't have a lot of liberty. But when we surrender the script to God, God does things we weren't expecting. And it's a great thing when he gets off the script. When we pray in the spirit, we throw the script away. We throw away the expectations others had. We throw away our own expectations and we radically open ourselves to what God wants to do in us and through us. And it's worth doing. Another thing I want to look closely at is where it says that Peter came to himself. Now we say a person comes to when they've been knocked out or unconscious or in a trance or in a coma and they come to, right? Same phrase, that's what it means in Greek too. He came to, he had been in a trance. Peter had been in this spiritual state that he thought was a vision. He didn't think it was real life. He was being directed by God step by step. Put on your shoes, put on your clothes, put on your coat, walk with me. <laughs> Don't stop yet, keep walking. <laughs> the angel walks him all the way out. He's in the spirit. He's thinking in the mind of God. He is in a state in which God is telling him exactly what to do. And then when the angel goes away, he came to himself. He went back to, into his own self, into his own mind. You know, being in your own mind is not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> He's not in his own mind, not in his right mind. Well, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Sometimes we need to let it go. We, but we spend most of our times in our mind, in our own self. We spend most of our time there. That's the normal way that we live and operate. But Sometimes we need to step outside of ourselves. Sometimes we need to get in the mind of the Spirit, to know the will of God and do it. I know how to live in my own mind, according to the script of reason, according to what's expected, according to what society says. But how do you get the mind of the Spirit? Well, you get it through prayer. That's what we're here for tonight. And especially through prayer in the Spirit. As I said before, the community matters. Peter wasn't praying when the angel appeared. The community was. When we have the mind of the Spirit, when we have the mind of Christ, we operate according to God's will. Well, I have so much more to share with you tonight that I can't. I've got to stop. But I tell you, from a life on the mission field in which I've seen amazing miracles happen over and over again, I saw that they happened at times when I had prayed in the Spirit and I was able to discern what God wanted to do. What does God want to do tonight? I think God wants to deploy you. I could invite you all down here to the altar and I could cut, go out and try to pray for you. I could get some folks to try to help me. We could try to get to as many of you as possible. I don't think that's what God wants to do. I think God wants to deploy 
you. And so I'm gonna ask everybody to stand up right now. And I'm, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to start praying in the Spirit. If you've ever prayed in tongues, I want you to do it now. Maybe you haven't done it in years, I want you to do it now. I'm gonna invite you to pray in the Spirit. But if you have never prayed in tongues before, if you've never spoken in tongues, I want you to pray in the Spirit. I want you to receive the gift of tongues as evidence of the fullness of the Spirit in your life. I want you, the first second you feel God moving on you, if you feel God's presence, I give you permission to go ahead and speak in tongues. And so we're all gonna do it together and then God's gonna use us. Let's pray.